Beloved, please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 as we continue our exposition of uh, the book of Romans. Uh, This morning, we are going to uh, enter into our third message on Romans 8, 13. Uh, At this rate, we should be done by 2040 uh, with the book of Romans. Uh, But we do want to sort of drill down into this section because it is so fundamental to our understanding of sanctification and the Christian life, and uh, I think it's important for the discipleship of our church that we continue uh, to bring out the riches of this this text. The key to mortification, you are no longer. Uh, This message this morning is helping us to understand that if we are going to effectively and faithfully enter into, uh, uh, into sanctification actively and put to death the deeds of the body, we need to remember who we no longer are, and who we have become, and who we shall be. And that's what we'll consider uh, this morning. Please stand as we read the text from Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here ends the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray that you would teach us, grow us, and humble us, and make us more Christ-dependent as your Word is preached. May we look to Him alone for our salvation, and may you receive all the glory as your Word is proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When Paul introduced himself in the opening verse of Romans, Romans 1.1, he called himself a servant of Christ Jesus, and an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. I want us to notice that last part. He was set apart for God's gospel. In other words, Paul's divine calling was to make the gospel known. Now, one might ask, to whom was he to make it known? Well, the answer is to everyone, that is, to those who did not know the gospel and to those who did, that is, to those who are already Christians and needed to grow deeper in their knowledge of the gospel, which is applied to all Christians. We all need this deeper knowledge of the gospel. To know and believe the gospel is to know and to believe in Christ. And so Paul is eager to preach this gospel. Indeed, the apostle declared a few verses later in chapter 1, uh, verses 14 and 15, that he was, quote, under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Who are those who are in Rome? The Christians that he's writing to, the church. He's eager to preach the gospel to the barbarians who don't know Christ and to the church who do know Christ. Since Paul was, to this point, providentially hindered from visiting the Christians in Rome and preaching the gospel to them, he wrote them a letter. And thank God he did. Thank God he was providentially hindered because it was in God's plan that he would write a letter from Corinth to the church in Rome in order to give a masterful, in-depth exposition of the gospel of God for the people of God throughout the ages. It's the most famous letter ever written, arguably, the epistle to the Romans. 
And to having this in-depth exposition of the gospel is what every healthy believer not only needs, but longs for. Longs for a deeper understanding of the gospel. Mark Jones, in his book, Knowing Christ, which we've been studying uh, in the men's Bible study, he puts it like this, quote, Possessing an appetite for the deep mysteries of God is the sign of a healthy soul. And teachers must bring God's people into a deeper acquaintance with these precious truths. It all centers on the gospel, the deep mysteries of God as set forth in the gospel. The Apostle Paul certainly seeks to do this in his letter to the Romans. Uh, Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, this former persecutor of the church, he unpacks the riches of Christ's person and work. It seems like wave upon wave of of arguments and and turning the gospel diamond in different ways so that light and truth is refracting in different ways. the same gospel, but he's coming at it from different angles. And even as we study all 66 books of the Bible, we see how the gospel is set forth in different ways, but it's the same gospel, the same way in truth and life, namely Christ himself. And so Paul passionately teaches believers, please get this, He passionately teaches believers who they formerly were before knowing Christ. It's a big emphasis of Paul's all throughout his letters, not least here in Rome, Romans. He passionately teaches believers who they formerly were before knowing Christ and who they presently are as those who are united to him by faith. Who they were and who they are. Constantly reminding them of these things. Constantly. But that's not all. He doesn't stop there. Oh, no. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, teaches the church, teaches us, that there are ethical implications and fruit of this new identity in Christ. In other words, he doesn't only emphasize the believer's justification through faith in Christ, as important as that is. He also emphasizes the believer's sanctification through faith in Christ. Dear ones, we are not only saved from something, we are saved to something. We are not only saved from sin, death, and hell, we are saved unto a life of growing holiness, a life of growing conformity to Jesus. And that's the Christian life. You're wondering what the Christian life is when you walked in here this morning? That's the Christian life. It's growing to become more like Christ. It isn't just reveling in our justification, it's also working out our sanctification all by God's empowered grace, the Spirit-empowered grace. Isn't this what Paul has been teaching us all along in Romans 6 through 8? That those who are united and enslaved to Christ are no longer united and enslaved to Adam. That's exactly what Paul has been teaching. In Christ, sinners have been set free. We have been set free. In Christ, sinners live by faith in the realm of the Spirit and life. Therefore, and this is what we've been reflecting on for the past two weeks, we are no longer obligated to or under the control of our old master. 
We are no longer debtors to the flesh to live according to its appeals and its appetites. We live, rather, according to the Spirit. Amen? We no longer have to answer to the old master. We've been set free from him. We are new creatures in Christ. We have a new identity in him. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the, what? To the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We no longer owe the flesh. We're no longer debtors to the flesh. We're no longer enslaved to the flesh. We've been set free. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, since by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What Paul is saying here to every Christian is this. Since you are no longer under the realm and power of sin and the flesh, do not live like it. Do not live as if you are. Rather, live according to your new identity, your new realm, your new home, your new family, your new doctrine, your new freedom, your new status, your new indwelling spiritual power. That's what Paul is saying. And it's revolutionary for the Christian life. I remember many, many years ago, as I was reading through uh, the sermons of Martin Lloyd-Jones for my quiet times for about two years, I was doing this, just reading a sermon a day. And I remember when Lloyd-Jones is making this emphasis throughout his Ephesians commentary that so central to uh, the, the Christian mind and understanding of the gospel and the Christian life and living the Christian life is understanding who you no longer are and who you by grace have become. And living your life, waking up in the morning, recognizing that, glorying in that, reminding yourself of that. And so what Paul is saying to all of us is since you are no longer under this realm of sin in the flesh, don't live like it. Rather, live according to your new realm. You are a new creation in Christ, Paul says elsewhere. The old is gone and the new has what? Has come. Therefore, live like it. And don't go back to your old ways and values of the sinful flesh and of the world. There is so much sloppy teaching in evangelicalism, which just sort of says to be a Christian means you're in, but there's nothing else that's really changed so much. You're in, you've been saved, you should probably share that with some people and be evangelistic, but there's no real self-conception of having a new identity, of being a new man in Christ, being united to Him. And set free from the dominion of sin. Be who you are, Paul says. Be who you are. Live according to your new life and identity in Christ. And don't go back to the old ways when you were under the tyranny of sin. And shackled to that wicked, tyrannical master. You have been set free from that prison, dear Christian. And unshackled from those chains in Christ. Charles Wesley expressed it this way in 1738. Long my imprisoned spirit lay. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. 
thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon, what? Flamed with light. Flamed with light. Now listen to this. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What a wonderful description of being born again, no longer chained to sin. There's, there's, there's teaching that has an antinomian sort of flair that says, you know, we're, we're, we're Christians, we're born again, we're justified, but you know, we're just sort of living in a perpetual state of, of, of brokenness and sin and defeat. And you know what? The more you sin and the more you're defeated in the Christian life, the more grace you get. And so it's pretty good for everybody. God gets to pour out His grace on you. You get to sort of remain in this sort of place of, of, of sin and brokenness. And while there's you know, always just a little bit of truth in these things, that is not true as a whole. Because God has set us on a course of Christian growth and sanctification and wants us to grow more like Christ. And we'll see about that in a few minutes in more detail. But this salvation, dear ones, is no legal fiction. This is no empty religious experience. Christ has truly set us free, but sometimes we forget this, don't we? Sometimes we forget that we have been set free. Sometimes we behave as if we have not been set free and we begin to think and to act like we are still enslaved to the slave master, that we are still in the old realm and under the old master. Patterns from the old life begin to, take, to gain life and to take root. Have you ever had this experience? Well, I've been a pastor for a long time, so I know you've had this experience. Every Christian has had this experience where we forget ourselves. We forget who we are. We forget who we serve. We forget that we are a child of God. We forget that we're baptized and set apart unto a life of growing holiness. And we go back to the old realm. You could go back to the old realm for a day, for a year, for several years, for some, where patterns have developed, we can forget who we are. In April of 1945, the Allied forces liberated tens of thousands of Jews from concentration camps. Countless others, of course, died from poisonous gas and firing squads and starvation and disease. The cruel and barbarous treatment that they received left them emaciated and mentally broken. They were told repeatedly by the Nazis that they were worthless, no better than bugs to be squashed. The historical counts are devastating. When they were finally liberated from the camps, many did not immediately change their thinking about themselves, their new status, and their new realm of freedom. It took time for them to reorient themselves, to gain confidence, to live in the joy of their new freedom, and to not allow their minds to live in the prison of fear and death, especially with so many friends and loved ones who were taken in those days and did not survive. You see, they were set free 
but they didn't always think like they were and live like they were. Another example of this kind of thing comes from the days of, of Moses and the people of Israel in the desert. You'll remember that the people of Israel who were under the tyrannical rule of Pharaoh uh, and they were slaves. And because they were growing mighty in number, the Egyptians began to fear their numbers. Therefore, Pharaoh made life even more oppressive for them. He mandated that they make more bricks and less materials. And, and the people grew weary. And as you know, God delivered them by sending ten plagues and, and leading them into uh, the desert through the Red Sea that they could worship God. But once in the desert, once free from Pharaoh, you know what happened? God's people began to complain. But not only that, they began to embrace the sinful and idolatrous ways of their old master. Many even expressed that they wanted to go back to their old life of slavery in Egypt. They wanted to go back. At least in Egypt, things were more predictable, they said. God had set them free, but they allowed their hearts to be seduced by the old life of slavery. You know, sometimes when you're raising small children, you, you'll, you'll try to reason with them. It doesn't always work. And sometimes you'll say this as a parent, why did you do that? And the response you'll get that sometimes is, I don't know. Those who go back to the old slave master, which only promises sin and destruction, and to live in those patterns of sin, if you ask someone, why are you doing that? The answer will often be, I don't know. I don't know why I'm doing this. I have so much in Christ. Why am I doing this? There's deception that happens to God's people. You see, this is what happens to us sometimes. This is what happens to young believers, though not exclusively so who with shallow spiritual roots begin to wander back into the old realm and patterns of the flesh, who get uh, spiritual amnesia and forget their new identity in Christ. This is what Paul is getting at in Romans 8. This is why I don't want to leave this text right now, because this is central to mortification. This understanding of who we are and who we formerly were. This is what God wants his people to understand, that since we have been set free in Christ and thus are no longer under the reign of sin, and since we are now under the reign of grace, and since our future inheritance is guaranteed, therefore, we must live according to this new life, live according to the Spirit and the Word. We must live according to our new identity and family name. We must live in the freedom of the sons and daughters of God. And thus, here's the application, put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh. Not living in those old patterns of sin. Dear one, that's not you. That is not you, Paul says. Rather, put off the old man, the old patterns of sin, and yield to the Spirit. And when you do sin, confess your sins, repent of your sins, and keep short accounts, and continue to actively mortify those sins, and strangle those sins, and beat down those sins. Because, as I said last week, 
We will always have sin this side of heaven. But we want that sin, that remaining sin on life support and not conquering us. Indeed, if left unchecked, indwelling sin will compromise our walk with God. And at worst, it will unravel our faith. Beloved, if we don't take sin seriously, sin will seriously take care of us. So as we spend our third week on Romans 18 and continue to drill down into this foundational verse on sanctification, I want to give attention to three things. Our former identity, who we no longer are. Our present identity, who we have become. And our future glory, who we shall one day be. First of all, first of all, united to Christ, you are no longer under the tyranny of sin. That's the first thing. And I'm going to go a little bit rapid fire here, so forgive the, uh, the uh, fire hose spraying you. I'm going to go a little fast through these. I've touched upon these points in the past, but I want to make these things so abundantly clear that united to Christ in the fight against indwelling sin, we must recognize who we no longer are. And Paul makes this point over and over again. And we want to understand this. So you are no longer under the tyranny of sin. That's the first thing. You are no longer under the tyranny of sin. Since you are united to Christ, sin is no longer your master. You are no longer sin's servant. You don't live under sin's dominion any longer. You used to, but not anymore. You've been liberated. You've been emancipated by Christ. You've been set free by His Spirit. You were once, I was once, in the devil's dungeon and shackled by the chains of sin, but no longer is that true of us who are in Christ. Paul writes in Romans 6, 17 and 18, You were once slaves of sin, but having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Romans 8, 3, The law of the Spirit of life has what? Set you free. In Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. Dear believer, no longer does sin reign in your life. Sin no longer sits on the throne of your heart. No longer are you enslaved to that tyrannical master. You've been set free. That's the first thing. Secondly, you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. The metaphor of death is a strong one, isn't it? The Bible doesn't teach that humanity is born with spiritual sniffles and able to work our way to God. No, it teaches that we are conceived in sin and born spiritually dead, that is, incapable of coming to God in our own strength, and inherently we are opposed to God. That's the condition the Bible says that we are in before knowing Christ. Again, we look to Scripture, Colossians 2 and verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. So over and over again, Paul's making the point that you once, dear Christian, were under sin, you once were dead in your sin, but no longer. You are also no longer under the law. This doesn't mean that God's law does not play a role in our lives as Christians. Of course it does. 
But here we learn that since we are united to Christ, no longer are the impossible demands of the law our only way to salvation. Because by the way, if you're not in Christ, the only way you can be saved is by living a sinless life, which is impossible. So we are no longer under the crushing demands of the law for salvation if we're in Christ. Now the law continues to show us our sin and points us to Christ and our salvations in Him who obeyed the law for us. And so Romans 6.14, you are no longer under the law, but under grace. Romans 7.6, but now we are released from the law. We are released from the law, that is, as a, as a means for salvation, as, 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 as uh, that which has crushing and impossible demands for our salvation. We're released from that, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. When you ask the average person on the street if they're going to heaven, they will say yes. And the next question is, why do you think you'll be able to go to heaven? They'll say, because I've lived a pretty good life, or I haven't done so bad, or I'm not as bad as the other guy. But you see, that's not the way it works. Almighty, holy God has standards. The standards are righteousness. And we cannot meet those standards on our own. So he sent his son to meet them for us. And then to pay for our sins, which we've committed. But on our own, it's impossible. And so we are delivered from being under the law as a means of salvation. Fourthly, we are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. This morning in my morning devotions, I was reading a wonderful prayer by St. Augustine uh, from the 4th century, and it was so uh, uh, helpful in terms of this point. I wanted to add it this morning. Listen to this prayer, that we are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. You, Lord, have become my hope, my comfort, my strength, my all. In you does my soul rejoice. The darkness vanished from before my eyes, and I beheld you, the Son of Righteousness. When I loved darkness, I knew you not, but wandered on from night to night. But you led me out of that blindness. You took me by the hand and called me to yourself. And now I can thank you and your mighty voice, which has penetrated to my inmost heart. Amen. 1 Peter 2.9, God has called us out of darkness and into his what? Marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9, we no longer live in the dark shadows of sin held captive by its sinful allurements. No, united to Christ, we live in the light of his love and gospel promises. We live in the light of Christ. We do not live in the darkness. We live in the light. Uh, Finally, we no longer live in Adam. We are no longer in Adam. We were formerly united to Adam and the eternal death that accompanies that union. But now in Christ, the second Adam, we've been set free. Paul writes in Romans 5, 17, For if... 
because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We were in Adam only, a branch on a dead tree that was putrefying. But by God's grace, he broke us off of that tree and he put us onto the vine of Christ and we were made alive, given new life and fruit comes on that branch. And so, united to Christ, dear one, you are no longer these things. But, united to Christ, you have become. You are now First of all, made alive. You are now made alive. You were dead, but now you are made alive. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says in Ephesians 2.1. And then down in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Those six words are packed with wonderful theology about the sovereign grace of God. He made us alive together with Christ. That's union with Christ language. We are only alive because we are in union with Him, not because we prayed a superficial prayer 20 years ago. We're alive because of, what, of being brought into union with the risen Christ. So we can say with Paul, by grace, I have been saved. 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so you were dead, but now you are alive, united to the Son. Also, you've been justified. No longer are you condemned before God's holy throne of justice as we deserve to be. We are justified. We are declared righteous, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us and all received by faith. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are made alive. We are declared righteous. It gets better. We are adopted. We are adopted. Our new identity in Christ includes adoption. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Again, Paul is telling them who they aren't and who they are. He's saying you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, a fearful life. No, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's that Aramaic word of endearment. We have the privilege of calling him that. He is that to us because of Christ. Our baptisms speak to this glorious spiritual reality and status. God has marked us with his covenant sign and seal. His promises are true. And we are called, therefore, to believe in them and to rest in them. Is your first reaction to someone that gives you a nice gift to punch him in the face? That's kind of a silly question. Kids, is that what you want to do when you get a nice present from your parents at Christmas? You want to throw some juice on the floor or something? You want to do something mean? No. No, your first reaction to receiving a gift is humbled, grateful, 
you want to give thanks, you, you want to express your appreciation, you even want to give them a gift. You know, when we, when we settle and abide in the gospel and all these glorious truths, reminded of who we were and who we are now, it makes us recognize the glory and beauty of the gift and then want to respond with love, wonder, and praise and obedience. We don't want to live and go back to the old world of sin and let those things uh, develop as patterns in our lives. When we realize who we are as those who are alive in Christ and justified and, and adopted and, 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 and fourthly, being sanctified, we are being sanctified. We are on that new tree of Christ and, and we are bearing fruit and we are changing. And, and, and it's not just a part of us, it's all of us. It's the whole man. I love what question 35 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. In the whole man after the image of God, our mind, our heart, our will, our affections, God is at work by His Spirit in the whole man. As the whole man was depraved outside of Christ, so the whole man will be sanctified, united to Christ. And so there's still hope for you, dear believer, who are struggling with whatever sin it is. God is at work, but remember who you are. And remember when you sin, sins of anger or jealousy or lust or whatever it may be, remember that's not who you are. You are in Christ. And so repent and turn from that and don't get caught up in it. Don't go back to the old world, the old realm of sin and under that terrible master. And remember, uh, finally, united to Christ, you shall forever be. Christ redeemed us to be his treasured possession forever. And so he is preparing us for heaven right now. He's preparing us. And he's doing so by bringing us into conformity with his own image. That's that image language that's used in Romans 8, 29, as well as that's used in the Shorter Catechism, as well as that's used in a text I will read in a few minutes in Colossians. God is conforming us to his holy likeness. This is not a maybe, but a certainty. Because of what Christ has done, we know that this is what Christ will do. It's the Father's purpose, even before time, to save us unto holiness. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. It's in the past tense. Why? Because it is so certain you can speak about the glorification that you will receive in Christ in the past tense. It's like it's already happened in a way because you're in Christ and he's been glorified. And you're in Him. And so your glorification is sure as Christ's. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, now listen, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, sanctifies himself as he is set apart and sanctified. It's all there. Everything we've been talking about is right there in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. We shall see him. And when he sets his eyes upon us in heaven, we shall be like him. Our human nature purified and made perfect and glorified. And so, since all of this is true, since we are no longer under the tyranny of sin, the old master, since we are no longer dead in our sins, since we are no longer under the crushing demands of the law for salvation, since we are no longer in the kingdom of darkness or united to Adam, and since we have been united to Christ and are alive in Him and justified by grace through faith in Him and forever adopted into God's family and we are being sanctified. And, and since you shall and we shall one day be like Him, perfected in holiness forever, therefore, since this is who you are, dear Christian, and, and who I am by God's grace, let us live according to our new identity according to the Spirit which abides in us, according to the Word which is preached to us. Be who you are and whom God is calling you and I to be. And remembering who you are, as I mentioned at the outset, is a big, a mammoth part of fighting against the remaining indwelling sin in our hearts and maintaining a healthy walk with God. Because you are God's treasured possession, united to His Son, Paul writes in Romans 6, 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This verse, 6, 12, begins Paul's thinking about what he writes in chapter 8 and verse 13. This verse in 6, 6, 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Rather, kill it. Take the life out of it. Mortify it. Don't let it gain life and strength. Just as you in a war would not want to let, let your enemy gain life and strength, you want to keep it down. Chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so remember who you are and thus use your body for his glory. Use your mind for his glory. Kill the deeds of the body. Crucify the flesh. Put off the old man and live in the spirit. And all of this, all of this is so wonderfully set forth as a kind of summary statement in a way of everything that we say in Colossians chapter 3. And I want you to turn there with me, please, as we end with a simple reading of Colossians 3, 1 and following. 
Colossians 3 and verse 1. And this first line is so massively important. If then, or perhaps since then, you have been, what? Raised with Christ. There's union with Christ language. Again, since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ died and you died in Him and with Him. And so you have died to sin. You've died to the law. You've died to the world and all of these things. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, therefore, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Mortify the remaining indwelling sin as you keep your eyes on Jesus and and not on the things of the earth, since you are in Him and raised with Him, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which, now look here, is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. That is where it starts. Since you have been raised in Christ, you are no longer all of these things, but now you are these things, and this is what you shall be. Therefore, live in this way. Kill the sins mentioned by Paul in that long list. And put on the things that Paul mentions in this list, living in the Spirit. Dear ones, abide in Christ by faith. He is a loving Savior. A bruised reed He will not break. And a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. Whatever you're going through right now, dear believer, know this. He's not done with you yet. He's at work. Remember who you, what you've been saved from. Remember who you are. And walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word and for all these promises. We ask, Lord, that as we sing, 
May we be mindful of these words, that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God to be worshipped and glorified. For you have shown us such amazing grace in your Son and by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.